SA Crypto, South Africa's largest blockchain community and news outlet. Hey everyone and welcome to this edition of the SA Crypto podcast. We are here today with Warren Gray. Welcome. Good to be here. Uh, Warren is the co-founder of Blockstarters and CoinEd. I, I was just asking you off mic, how do you introduce yourself to people uh, when they say, so what do you do, Warren? I generally quite uh, try and keep it generic. Uh, so I say I'm into um, Bitcoin and blockchain. Um, and then if they probe a little bit further, then I'll go on to say that I kind of co-founded a blockchain education business, which is called CoinEd. Um, as well as a blockchain technology hub, which is called Blockstarters. So, Blockstarters is uh, quite popular, certainly in uh, the crypto industry here in South Africa. A lot of people know know um, who you are because of the events that you've held, the meetups that you've held. Um, but Coinet as well is something that was founded by yourself and Creon, um, who founded uh, Blockstarters. Where do you spend most of your time? Uh, CoinEd, I think, is uh, my focus at the moment. Um, so we've just found that, you know, we initially tried to go after individuals to teach people about uh, cryptocurrency. But we found that the market is actually more in schools and um, developer training for corporates, uh, which has been quite interesting to explore. I mean, I think one would assume that there's a huge market for training um, individuals. But I mean, the way I've kind of grown to see it is that we're on the one end of an information asymmetry gap, <coughs> where the reason that cryptocurrency is very lucrative now, uh, the reason that we think it's going to be a um, very important industry for the future, um, is because most people don't actually see that. And so when you're trying to give courses to the public, then you're on the wrong end of that, which is you're trying to sell something that needs a lot of convincing. Um, so we've actually found that to be the more difficult angle. Um, but then the, the developer training um, is, is very interesting. So we do Solidity, Blockchain, Smart Contract, uh, Dev Training, run hackathons. Um, but the one that's been quite rewarding and the most interesting, I think, is in the schools. Um, it's provided a very interesting perspective. And we've uh, trained a lot of um, students at schools. So hopefully the next generation who can use the technology the same way you and I uh, use the internet today. So one reason why I wanted to do this podcast and this interview is because I saw that you did quite a big um, training in Kenya. Um, and that was very interesting to see such young people being taught about blockchain. Um, you know, most adults and even software engineers, I talked to software engineers, developers, people in the IT industry who have no clue about, uh, about the blockchain industry and what blockchain even is yet. And that, that surprises me. Um, how, how, first of all, let's start with how you got that opportunity. Here's a South African startup in an industry that is so niche, so unique, and you're getting invited to schools in Kenya. Tell us how the opportunity arose. So, I mean, the school we went to teach there was uh, the Crawford in Kenya. Um, and I think we initially, uh, through the Advertech group, which owns Crawford, uh, one of their board members uh, Stafford Massey, who used to be the CEO of Google in South Africa. He's a board member there. And I think he saw early on that it's very important. So from very high level, there was directive within the Advertech group to get blockchain and Bitcoin education into uh, certainly their ventures, and Crawford is one of them. So it was a bit more difficult to introduce in the South African schools because there's obviously a lot more structure. Um, schools are very usually well planned out for the year, and it's difficult to get time in there. So 
the obvious next step was to go to Kenya, where there's a school that's just launched, which is Crawford International School. It's actually kind of a separate branch. And in Nairobi, they just started their school. Uh, they don't have the same rigid requirements as what we have in South Africa in terms of examinations, etc. So it was quite easy to slot in with a full two-week integration into the syllabus. To our knowledge, it's actually the first in the world where there's been a full integration into a high school, from what we can tell. We haven't seen any evidence to suggest otherwise. Wow. And it gave us a huge amount of time with students from the age of, I think, 12, 13, up to about 17. Um, and also in a country that has a different context around money to us, which is also interesting to yeah. see. Why do you say they have a different context to money? So there's a few things. Uh, one of them is that they have um, majoritively using uh, digital money in the form of their M-Pesa. Right. So is that still a big form of, of trade and uh, part of their econ uh, economy in Kenya? Yeah, I think they, from what we could tell, most people's transactions actually work like that. Uh, students will mostly use M-Pesa. And also the culture around um, having money as a child is quite different. So I think here there's, you know, pocket money is a norm and allowances, etc., or getting money to buy things. There it seems to be on a very permissioned basis. So if when, for example, when the borders get taken to the movies on the weekend, the, you know, the teachers told us that when they go out there, every single one of them will have to, on the spot, request M-Pesa and then spend it right there. So they have this kind of, from the student's perspective, quite a frustrating permissioned system. Right. Um, and so that's always when they first see cryptocurrency, their eyes light up because the questions are like, well, can we have a Bitcoin wallet if we're under 18? And, you know, the obvious Are they not is, allowed M-Pesa wallets under 18? Uh, well, to, to have an account, you have to sign up. You have to have a bank account, right? right. Um, in order to use it, you need to have your parents' permission. Um, and in, you can't really, they can't really get hold of it. Okay. So, so even it's if extremely limited and restricted. I mean, it's properly regulated. It's, it's like any bank account. I mean, right. So when we teach in South Africa, we get the same response, which is, and that's actually what's made it so interesting is uh, pupils really get it quickly because they have a direct need. Whereas the usual reply with the public adults in the public is that well they have already got a bank accounts so I can already spend it's quite easy um, so they don't really have that permissionless mm. um, um, lesson in there interesting okay so um, you're dealing with a, an economy that is already fully operational on their phones M-Pesa is is a big part of Kenya's economy yeah and there's a big remittance market as well so when we ask how many of your parents have used cryptocurrency, usually it's about a quarter to a third of the students put up their hands. Mm -hmm. And then usually the answer is, well, they used it to send money back to America or whatever the case may be. Or they used to receive money from some diaspora. Sure. Um, whereas in South Africa, when you ask that question, usually the number of students who put up their hands is far less, and it's always for speculative reasons. Mm -hmm. There isn't really that remittance uh, market um, within the groups that we're teaching. All right, so now you, you spent two weeks teaching high school students. Were they uh, a whole range of students? Were you teaching the different grades, the different uh, um, sort of years? Uh, and how on earth did you integrate into their actual syllabus? I mean, that must have been a very challenging um, project to manage. Yeah, so I think uh, you know, the range was in a number of years. The, because it's a new school, uh, they had um, students from all kinds of schools. So there was a big range of skills, which is something we don't see here because there's quite an established schooling system. You're most likely in South Africa going to go to a certain tier of school your whole life. Um, whereas there, there's a huge over um, or undersupply of schooling, um, a huge amount of demand. 
they spend <coughs> tremendous amounts of their income on education. Um, and the people or the government? The, the parents. Okay. Yeah, they spend, they're willing to spend, I mean, I've heard different numbers, but some, some of the teachers suggested that they're willing to spend up to half of their income or a third to half of their income on education for wow. their children. Uh, so it is quite a different view of it. And is that the middle class or is that sort of the lower end of the middle class? I think it's across the spectrum there is a desire for education. Interesting. Um, obviously, I think, and there's been, it's quite a federated system where you have very expensive private schools, like exceedingly expensive, like Harvard, you know, you know sure. 300,000 rand a year sure. kind of thing. Um, and they're usually the international schools. And then you have, um, on the other end of the spectrum, kind of government schools, very cheap or very low-cost schools. And that's what's been interesting with Crawford. They've introduced a value proposition at the international school level, but at a price point that's similar to a South African private school, which is you know a fifth of the price or less than the existing private schools. There. So they've disrupted it a bit, and that's why there's so much demand. So now you have students coming to that school that previously went to a government school, and you can tell like there is quite a range of um, backgrounds in terms of what they've learned to date. Um, but it's nice that it's kind of early high school, so you know I think that'll be normalized quite quickly. So coming back to the students that you taught, each class that you taught was was it a different grade or was it an uh, an amalgamation of grades each time? And how mm -hmm. many classes were you doing per day? Yes, we did a full day every day. I think I developed an appreciation for how hard teachers work. Wow. Because there were two of us, Crian and I, giving the courses. Um, and even though we could kind of bounce off each other and share the workload, by the end of the day, it was, uh, you know, time to take a nap. <laughs> and we didn't even have any marking to do. <laughs> so, but yeah, the way we integrated, we did grades, each grade at a time. Um, and it wasn't that we, like, took over their maths lesson and taught maths. Okay. But it was that we tried to cover the content, all of those subjects. So, you know, we dealt with a bit of cryptography, taught them about hash functions, one-way functions, uh, clock arithmetic, all of these things that are used in the cryptography of Bitcoin. Um, and I think one lesson we learned is you have to keep it interactive. So as much as we covered the history of money, which is also something they understood um, pretty well, um, you know, having, I think, you know, known people in countries where currencies have collapsed, etc., it certainly sort of run quite true. And, um, yeah, so we managed to teach uh, everything in an interactive way, which is kind of the lesson we learned. Did you do exams at the end of your two-week courses? Yeah, we had a fun little uh, kind of multiple-choice qu uh, questions test at the end, which was great. But I think, you know, most of it was focusing on interactive exercises. Um, for example, <coughs> we've kind of developed this build-your-own-blockchain game. Uh, where each of the students actually opens a hashing calculator for the mining algorithm for Bitcoin. And they get to see how the more people that are hashing, the more difficult it is to find the answer. You know, we can adjust the difficulty. And then we paste all the blocks that they mine, and they actually get Bitcoin rewards, which they really enjoyed. Um, so at the end of that, they kind of get a sense, just from experiencing it, how that distributed consensus works, how the game theory works. And they see it firsthand. And keeping it interactive, I think, is what mm. kept their attention. Mm. Plans to go back? We're actually going back in November because that school has actually doubled in size wow. in the last six months. I mean, that's how strong the demand is. So we're going back to teach that. And we're actually teaching some other <coughs> related subjects around um, computer science. I mean, so one of the things we did was we built a web page that accepts Bitcoin. Um, because, and this is something that students appreciate. They cannot actually build a website that accepts money. So if they're offering a service uh, selling 
maybe web development or selling uh, items or something, they actually can't build an e-commerce site without permission. And their parents probably won't you know, necessarily give them mm. that. But with a permissionless system, they can actually accept uh, payments, um, mm. which is something they quite enjoyed. So yeah, we built HTML websites. It's something they haven't actually seen. I mean, you and I probably did that in high school. But it's surprising it's not really taught anymore. It's now all... Well, it's all automated these days. It's yeah. Wix.com and exactly. uh, WordPress. It just makes it simple So they simple see the front you. end. But I think HTML is a great introduction to coding. Mm. Mm. So we did that. And so this time that we're going to go back now in November, uh, we'll be teaching some more in-depth subjects and then also related to cryptocurrency. Now, in those classes, did you find um, the math understanding to be adequate for topics like cryptography, um, some of the basic sort of uh, principles behind Bitcoin, for instance? Yeah, I think so. It was. It's. I found in South African schools, um, the level is more reliable as to what you can expect. Um, there, there was quite a difference between the students, um, but broadly, you know, we did keep it. Um, at a high school level, so it wasn't that we were delving deep into like elliptic curves or sure. uh, tertiary subjects, which I mean, I think no high school would really know about. Sure. They're, not, they're not actually taught cryptography in high school, but they've seen the imitation game, so they know Alan Turing. Kind of <laughs> they know the basics of, uh, yeah. of the, the foundations of cryptography, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, you know, high school is grade eight to grade 12. I don't know what the Kenyan schooling system looks like. What was the difference in understanding and receptivity from a grade 8, say your middle-of-the-road grade 8 student to your middle-of-the-road grade 12 student? I think the younger they were, the less they had to unlearn. And that applies right through to financial professionals that we teach. Yeah. It's actually more difficult. They have a lot more to unlearn, <laughs> a lot more things they take for granted. Mm. Um, so, Such as? Well, I think you know the, <clears throat> we kind of grow into a monetary system that hasn't really existed that long and most people don't really know about the history of it. Um, and most people haven't really seen those black swan inflationary events. Um, and then usually, often adults have got a skepticism because they've probably been exposed to a lot of financial scams. Um, and, you know, at first glance, Bitcoin does look like a bit of a scam. Even the people that are completely into it now say, mm-hmm. well, when they first heard about it, well, it seemed like a bit of an internet scam. In fact, I saw a story the other day about um, someone who went to write a book about why Bitcoin was a scam and ended up writing a book about why it was, you know, revolutionary. So the more they learn, I think the better. But that's a different starting point. When we teach adults and to some extent older children, you almost have to start off being apologetic and saying, let's explain why. First, let's get you to zero. Like why you should even consider this. Okay. Whereas with uh, younger students, that's not the case at all. They're just very interested. And what we found to be universally true is by the end of the, the sessions that we've run, um, it's actually the existing system that they find more confusing. So we get questions like, well, when the government prints money, who mines it? <laughs> you know, because they appreciate that you have to put in work, and that's what gives it value. Ah. Um, so I think you know, those concepts come through. So you're, you're giving them an entire economic framework, really, which all of a sudden, I mean, that's exactly what Bitcoin does to people. That makes them go, hang on a second. It makes them question the economics of society. Absolutely. And I mean, I had to learn that stuff to teach it. So yeah. I actually didn't know about it. I didn't know when the first paper money came out. I didn't know the details about um, <clears throat> the, the gold-backed uh, system, when it was reneged on in 1971, mm. uh, when Bretton Woods happened, what the um, historical climate was around that time. Um, <clears throat> and also, like, you know, the English word debase, 
comes from putting base metals into coins. Yeah. And this temptation has existed for 2,000 years. The Roman emperors started with a 100% silver coin. Uh, 200 years later, and five emperors or so, they had <clears throat> gone down to about 60, 40 to 60% on average for each coin. Mm. So, you know, I didn't During realize their how coin, long... the coin clipping <coughs> uh, stage. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know how long inflation had really been an issue. And even when it was <coughs> metals that were uh, required to be, well, you know, have an inherent difficulty in mining or extracting, there were still tricks going on to yeah. inflate it. Yeah. Um, so let's come back to uh, to the way forward for CoinEd. I mean, you know, you guys have now been to Kenya. You, I saw you were at a school this week. Is there a preference for you? Do you want to be doing international work? Do you want to be focusing on Africa? Is it students you want to be targeting? If you had a preference, what would that preference be? So I think where we want to get to is a kind of teach-the-teacher model where they uh, take on the syllabus. And we are actually talking to a number of schools about that. I think we've gotten to the point where we've honed the content now over the course of about a year um, where you know I think we've got adequate content that's been tested on live audiences. Um, so now the next step is to actually start to introduce it to teachers. Of course, that's difficult because you take for granted how much you actually have to know to be able to teach cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. um, but we've identified a few champions in different schools, and they will um, essentially be able to take over and license the content because that way we can reach as many people as possible. I mean, I'd love to five years from now tell the story or 10 years from now when hopefully if we've gone through what might be a very tumultuous road with crypto in the future. There's so much uncertainty. Um, but if it does reach its potential um, enabling the degree of financial freedom or banking the unbanked or a reliable store of value for people who need it, it'll be great to say that you know, we were teaching thousands of students who are now university level or working who are using it. I mean, that would really be good to look back on. You guys um, are just a partnership, am I right? It's just you and Kriyan, Kriyan Singh? Yeah, so we have a few investors in the business, and um, and that business being Coinet, not just block starters, or in essence, are the two one and the same? Uh, they're not really one and the same. So I mean, they're very different models. Sure. Uh, no, I understand that. Yeah. Are they, but are they different partners? Yeah, it's different people involved okay. in it. So um, you know, block starters is more of a <coughs> a space that we have. Um, I mean, Vala, which is a South African exchange, are one of the uh, tenants there, and um, we really use it as a a way to run events. So even things slightly outside of cryptocurrency, we, we host the Pi Data Meetup there, for instance. <clears throat> but then we try and link it to crypto. So we you know, hosted an event there where we use GPU mining rigs to do machine learning as a second use case. Um, we uh, <clears throat> have also run an event that's been quite successful called the Blockchain Breakfast. So it used to run every two weeks, but we found it was a bit onerous to organize it that often with unique guests every time. Uh, so we run it once a month now, Friday mornings, once a month we do an event. I think the next one we're going to do is on exchange control. Uh, we've previously had topics around tax, crypto tax from lawyers at firms like Bowman. Exchange control will be Cliff Decker. Uh, so we've got some <coughs> interesting uh, players looking at this. And I think also people get the sense that there are some um, bigger players, bigger firms that are starting to investigate this and we just want to be found by the community so if a law firm wants to do a blockchain trial they'll kind of find us and we can help them out with it and lead them in the right direction continuing with the with the track of of block starters i love the model of incubating um blockchain startups mm -hmm. um i think a, a huge sort of success story for you right now is that Valor is is based at block starters what's the goal what's the sort of 
the the U, USP, the ultimate selling point of block starters? So I think we, although we have um, experimented a bit with the incubation model, um, we've actually found that it's it's been more successful as a community hub and a way to um, essentially get leads into other businesses or just generally knowing who's in the blockchain community, a place to, also a place to engage with regulators that's neutral. Um, you know, I think generally my view on incubation and venture capital in South Africa, uh, the climate isn't really great for it. Uh, you know, there's economies of scale that exist in other places in the world that are difficult to compete with globally. And ultimately, if you're building a crypto product, unless it's an exchange, or maybe a handful of others, um, you are competing globally. You know, if you're running a mm -hmm. mining business or you're building a wallet or you are competing globally, it's very tough in our capital environments um, where there isn't much deal flow. It's a problem of all software companies in South Africa. Mm. Um, and I think anyone that knows um, people that have uh, raised funding here, it's, it is quite difficult. So I think you know, incubating a niche within a difficult market. Um, we've experimented with a bit, but we haven't actually engaged with that. So in terms of Vala, they're, they're really um, are at the space uh, as tenants. Um, and engage with the community so we get them to help us out with a lot of the talks um, and then just try and support so it's a way to link projects together yeah. for us that's a, it's not really about taking an equity stake in these businesses um, so yeah I kind of alluded to the engagement with regulators which I think is important and that's mm -hmm. for me going to be a very important function of block starters um, so um, you know, for example we have dealt with the Reserve Bank a number of times so I think if anyone wants to uh, run a trial, like maybe put down ATMs. There are currently you know, laws and gray areas around what that actually means. You know, if you're a bank and you want to put down an ATM, uh, you have to have a huge amount of compliance around that. Mm. Um, at the moment, you can import and, and uh, drop down a BTM or crypto ATM okay. uh, without necessarily anything like that, but you might find later that you could end up in trouble. Um, you could you know, for whatever reason, fall under scrutiny. So those kinds of trials, we'd actually rather engage with regulators. And if anyone wants to, then we can at least open those channels. So, and the Reserve Bank's been pretty good at, um, I mean, they're running their own <coughs> blockchain experiments. Um, and likewise, we'd actually like to open channels with SARS maybe even in the future for people that do want to understand and get clarity. Um, I think that two-way street to understand like what are the problems in reporting um, and yeah, it is incredibly uh, vague at the moment. Sure. Do you have any inroads into uh, legislative government, um, uh, parliamentary uh, level government officials? Because, you know, dealing with Saab can be quite different to dealing mm. with uh, parliamentarians, for instance. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it is quite different. We don't really have uh, leads within the lawmaking process or legislation. So I suppose that would be the next step. I think it'll probably be the the likes of SARS and Saab that deal with um, crypto first. Um, I think it'll be a while before it becomes an issue that's being tabled the way it is in Congress in the US right now. I think sure. South Africa is a while off of it um, reaching that level. Um, as much as we probably one of the most popular countries in the world for Bitcoin, if Google searches anything to go by, mm. in fact, we're the most popular. Um, but I, I just think that um, the amount of capital here and even like the taxable gains on crypto are probably smaller than some individual cases um, in the entire country. Mm. It's a very interesting, interesting time. 
Um, well, Warren, thanks so much. I know you've got to run. We really appreciate your time. We appreciate you making the time to come through and visit us here in Derbs. Where can people find out more about you? What's the websites? Yeah, so you can get us on um, blockstarters.com um, and uh, coined.co.za. Okay, blockstarters.com yep. and coined. And you are active on Twitter? Yeah, so we uh, have uh, Twitter accounts. Um, or a better question would be, where are you most active? <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, Twitter probably is where we're, we're most active. Um, so you can get those uh, Twitter links um, on our web pages. Cool. I think we've got the social media stuff at the bottom. Cool. Um, so yeah, reach out to us there, and yeah, we'd love to to do some more courses at schools or um, in businesses. Nice man. Well, Warren, thanks so much. We appreciate your time, um, and we'll certainly be in touch because uh, you're an active member on uh, the SA Crypto WhatsApp groups, and uh, looking forward to finally coming and visiting you up in Joburg eventually and uh, wishing you all the best ahead of CryptoFest in September and for the rest of the year, man. Cool. Let's do a follow-up when you're in Jersey. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks, Warren. Great. Thank you. That's where we'll leave it for this edition, folks. From me, James Preston, and the SA Crypto team, it's goodbye. SA Crypto, South Africa's largest blockchain community and news outlet.